you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Welcome to the Freelancer Show. I'm Kai Davis, and today I'm joined by Jonathan Stark. Hello. And today we're going to talk about a fascinating, fascinating topic, one obvious path to increasing your freelancing income. And uh, uh, before the show, Jonathan and I had a great conversation about one of the oldest pricing stories I've ever heard. Uh, uh, do you want to tell the story or should I share the story? Uh, I'll, I'll go for it. There's sure. so many different versions of it. The, the way I first heard it was a um, guy walks into, you know, uh, somebody runs a nuclear power plant. It's on the fritz and they call it an expert. Expert comes in, takes a piece of chalk out of his pocket, draws an X on the wall, says your problem's behind the X. Uh, he leaves, turns out he was right. They fix the problem. He sends an invoice for $50,000. And the the foreman of the nuclear power plant is like, are you crazy? You were only here for 10 minutes. You expect we're going to pay you $50,000 for the to draw an X. And he says, no, it's a dollar to draw the X and $49,000 to know where to draw it. Or I did the math wrong, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I the- hate this story. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us why, because the reason you hate the story is one of the most fascinating things I've heard this year. Yeah, every, every, oh, thanks. Um, I, I hear this story a lot, as you might imagine, because I'm always railing on uh, hourly, hourly billing. And a lot of people will, will be like, send me that story and say like, yeah, this story is great. And ha ha ha. And it's about the value. Here's the problem. The expert in this scenario never gave the foreman a price. Mm-hmm. The foreman, the, 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 the invoice that was sent after the fact was never discussed. There was no value conversation had, it was sprung upon the person. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine a plumber coming to your house and be like, you'd be like, Oh, my, my plumbing is all jammed up and they come running over and they fix the thing. Nobody ever talks about the price. And then they send you a giant bill. Even if, even if it was fair or uh, what's what's the even if there could be an ab test of the possibility of you you know experiencing the same thing but with the plumber telling you the price first and then you deciding to spend the $1000 or the $50,000 for the x on the wall the the expert in the nuclear power plant situation took the power away from the foreman the buyer and that is wrong And that is one of the reasons I despise hourly billing because nobody knows the price when they start. Mm -hmm. So you've, you, they have made what amounts to a very important pricing decision 
without knowing a price. And this is the reason, and every freelancer will be familiar with this situation. If you've been doing freelancing for more than a year, you will be familiar with a situation where you present a client with an estimate, you ultimately go over the estimate, they start freaking out, and you're like, why are you freaking out? I told you it was an estimate. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how emphatically you tell them that's an estimate. They are forced to make a purchasing decision at that moment, so they have no choice but to treat your estimate as a price. Mm-hmm. So the so the reason why I don't like the you know the X on the wall or taps it with the hammer story is that the person the expert didn't give the the foreman the power to make a decision. He just so, went ahead and did it. So a better sort of example of value pricing in this context of nuclear power plant emergencies and freelancing in general might be nuclear power plant has an, has an issue. They don't know what. They call on the expert. Expert says, you know what? I've seen issues like this before. Talk me through this, though. Uh, uh, are you near meltdown? What are, What's the risk here? What have you already tried? Foreman shares the information that they have. Expert is able to make a better – has a better understanding of the situation. From that says, okay, I've seen this before. I could give you instruction on what to do. It'll be $10,000. Foreman says, oh my gosh, we're at, we're two days away from meltdown. This is going to be a serious OSHA issue. I mm-hmm. better buy this. That price seems incredibly affordable for what I project the risk, the value, the, the future costs. If we don't fix the situation, value is greater than price. I will go ahead and purchase. So in this sort of retelling, the foreman has autonomy in this decision-making process. Right. You described an example where where the expert value prices the the price, but the the expert could give the any price that the expert gives the foreman would give the foreman autonomy. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter how the it, if they value priced it, then probably the 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 uh, expert would be more likely to not leave money on the table or less likely to leave money on the table. But the expert could just as easily as said they walk, you know, the expert walks in, they know exactly what the problem is. And they could say to the foreman, look, um, it's going to be $50,000. I I can give the information you need. Uh, It's going to be $50,000. Would you like to do that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that gives the foreman a second to make a value-based decision in his own mind, Mm -hmm. which is the way we buy everything else. If you go to buy a six-pack of beer, you make a value decision. If you go to buy a Coke or a car or a coat then you are making a value-based decision. Nobody value-priced you. Nobody said, hey, buddy, how much you want, you know, how much, how bad, how cold are you? How bad do you want this coat? But you are making a value-based decision, even though it wasn't priced in that way. So as long as, so the, the, the key thing that is missing from this story, which to be honest, I did laugh my head off the first time I heard, the key thing is that the the buyer never had a purchasing decision. They didn't have autonomy. Like you said, I like that word. Mm-hmm. They didn't, they didn't, they were never able to consider what the fix was worth to them. They had nothing to compare it to. They had, there's just nothing. They weren't anchored. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. They just didn't expect that 10 minutes of someone's time could ever amount to $50,000. It, it, it's too late, you know, at that point for them to think it's fair or not fair. Right. Right. No, I, I, I like the way you framed this because you need to give that price. You need to have that conceptual agreement on price with the buyer before they move forward. And I think there's there's another lesson in this in terms of how people perceive value, that it's not simply a strict quantitative return on investment calculation. Let's take the example of the coat. 
when you mm -hmm. decide to buy a new coat, it's a rational decision. Hey, you know what? I have 200 in the bank in my uh, winter clothing budget. This coat is $200, great, I'll buy it. But there's also emotional factors there. Do I like the way it looks? Did I just see, you know, my favorite celebrity wearing the same brand? Did my girlfriend mm -hmm. say, oh, I look great in jackets like that? All of those add into value as well, even if it's not financial value. And so when it comes to making this purchasing decision, the way we interrelate value and price is not strictly the quantitative value, but it's the mixture of the quantitative, the qualitative, and the emotional value as compared to the price we're paying for the coat or the consultation with the nuclear power plant expert, whatever mm -hmm. it may be. Yeah, I mean, almost think about any, think about the last 10 things you bought. Mm -hmm. You probably could, if, if a gun was to your head, you wouldn't be able to give a tangible ROI. I paid for good that money thing. for that gun. <laughs> you could, you can't, what's the ROI on a coffee? What's the ROI mm -hmm. on a coat? What's the ROI? It's all emotional. It's all emotional. Mm -hmm. It's virtually all emotional. Like in a, in a developed society, we're beyond the point of, of purely, of, of pure survival mechanisms. Anyway, you know, of course I'm, uh, there are exceptions, but, but virtually all of it is intangibles. The, it is worth, you know, the reason you pick Tom's shoes versus, uh, some no name brand or Hydrox cookies versus Oreos. It's all intangible branding, emotional. I mean, forget about it. If you start thinking about luxury watches and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I get to, I, I'm, sucking us down a rabbit hole though. So the, the, the point is the important point here is that there's a, there's a parallel between the nuclear power plant story and hourly billing. Notice that it's not called hourly pricing. Mm -hmm. Hourly billing is that the person who made the buying decision had to do so. Or they, they, they didn't, they had to make a buying decision with incomplete information. Mm -hmm. And the piece of information that they didn't have was the price. And that is unfair to the buyer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they're going to feel, it's going to feel unfair later. Completely agreed. Switching tracks for a second here. I, I, I'm curious about something that you and I both see working with coaching students, uh, uh, a focus on skill acquisition as a way to increase their value and increase their rates. Tell me a little bit about how you see skill acquisition getting better at a technology or a specialization relating to your ability to earn more as a freelancer or a consultant. Right. Yeah, this is this is extremely common. I've gone through this phase myself. Uh, in, in fact, not just once in different jobs uh, where there's this sort of preconceived notion that that if I keep getting better at my skill, I can keep increasing my hourly rate. So, you know, I'm going to I'm going to hone my craft. I'm going to sharpen my saw. I'm going to get better at, uh, indenting my react code. I'm just going to write more and more elegant. My solutions. semicolons are beautiful. Let me tell you. Yeah, handcrafted. Yep. There isn't uh, an errant space at the end of a line anywhere in the entire repo. And the concept that if you just keep sharpening your saw, you'll be able to keep raising your hourly rate is a delusion and Why? I, well, because what happens when you present an hourly rate to a client is that they can use it as, as what they think is an apples to apples comparison to anybody else who owns the same kind of saw. So it, let's say, let's say you, um, let's say the market rate, one of my favorite terms, the market rate for uh, people who use saws, saw 
carpenters, let's call them. The market rate is a hundred bucks an hour, but you know, you're like, your saw is super sharp. It's super sharp. So you're going to charge $200 an hour. Client calls you up, says, Hey, I need somebody to saw some stuff. What's your hourly rate? Well, 200 bucks an hour, 200 bucks an hour. How can, how do you get away with charging 200 bucks an hour and everybody else is charging hundred? Well, my saw is way sharper. And they're like, okay, like, but is it twice as sharp? Like, does that somehow, like they don't, it, it's not meaningful enough usually for you to, to them, for, for them to distinguish your quality or expertise from other people when you give them this handle to judge you with. Mm-hmm. So you're like, here's, here's the, you know, it, when you give an hourly rate, they're going to say, okay, thanks. And then they're going to shop around and they're going to look for the lowest hourly rate probably because they can't make a distinction between the difference. They, they can't, they can't dip, uh, make a distinction between you and your competitors because they don't know what you do. They don't understand the details of your saw, your, your drill or your react code or how elegant it is. They can barely even read your website. They don't mm-hmm. even understand half the stuff that's on there. The only thing they understand is your hourly rate. Mm-hmm. So if, if you, if you want to double your hourly rate, it's, it's just not going to work. Like it won't work because there'll be no way for them to justify that in their own minds because mm-hmm. you're just coming at it from a completely different direction. So what ends up happening is, and I've surveyed hundreds of developers, uh, it, not just developers, but other freelancers too. And, uh, and the average is that, uh, most people, U S Canada, Europe, are getting about a hundred bucks an hour. And this includes copywriters and designers as well as developers. So about a hundred bucks an hour and they're billable about 30 hours a week. Mm-hmm. That works out to about $140,000 a year in gross revenue. So that means that you still, 